word because um, I was reading my devotional. I keep a devotional in my truck and I try to read from it a couple of times a week, usually when I'm sitting in the parking lot at work. Well, this morning I didn't go to work. I came here. And um, Mary Lou Gooding, who's not with us this morning, she's actually over at the hospital across the street working, um, she sent this to me a couple of weeks ago. And um, this one that, that I want to read to you this morning, it's, in, uh, it's called The Markings, and it's based on Psalm 139, 14. It says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, back in the 70s, my uncle David Chapman purchased a 3030 caliber rifle. During a visit with him last year, he offered to sell it to me. Without hesitation, I took him up on it. Why? Because the gun was not just a standard issue rifle. There was a special inscription on the barrel that read Winchester Model 94 slash NRA Centennial Model 1871 to 1971. The gun had never been fired, and it was in mint condition. I thought about shooting a few rounds through it just to say that I was the first one to feel its smooth kick. However, I decided to keep it in its most valuable state. It is now safely stored and gaining daily value as it ages towards antiquity in its protective case. Perhaps someday in the distant future, someone might even end up appearing with it on one of my wife's favorite TV programs, The Antiques Roadshow, which features appraisals of items of age and uniqueness. On occasions, viewers get to see some interesting looks on the faces of those who present their treasures. Annie loves it when they gasp in pleasant surprise that the thing that they thought was only worth a few dollars turns out to be appraised for a figure that exceeds a five-year total of their annual income. For example, one lady took a lamp on the show that had hideous lizards formed in stained glass on its shade. And I fully agreed with Annie's reaction when she saw it. I wouldn't put that thing in my house if you paid me. How ugly. Then the appraiser turned the lamp over and there it was. Tiffany's of New York. Suddenly, the lackluster lamp became an item worth fighting for. Annie's next response was, well, just maybe I could find a place in my house to put that. How a piece is marked makes all of the difference. It's true for antiques, and it's certainly true for humans. Other people might look at us and see only our unsightly features or blemishes. Physical imperfections, limited abilities, a past that haunts us, lack of wealth and other flaws that are unattractive might justify their negative appraisal of us. However, if they look under the surface and into our hearts, they will find that distinguishing mark that makes onlookers sit up and take notice. They are the words written in Psalm 139, 14. Fearfully and wonderfully made. What we look like and what we have or don't have and what others think of us do not determine our value. Instead, it's the mark of God who made us that gives us a distinct and ultimate worth. With that in mind, may we be careful to look at ourselves as well as those around us, not according to the outward fleshly appearance, but in regard to the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. So I I just read that this morning and I thought, man, I need to share that with my church. You know, I just, that's just some encouragement I think that we, we can all grasp. Somebody's going to turn you over. You might look like a butthead, and he's going to turn you over, and it's going to say, you are fearfully and wonderfully God made. Some of us are God's butthead, amen? Um, I'll be God's butthead sometimes. You know, I know that sometimes I don't, I don't come across as, somebody who loves the Lord, and they may look at me and they catch me having a bad day. 
And they think, oh, this guy, what's up with him? Well, I'm thankful that regardless of what they see, if they look a little closer, they're going to see you know, something different. So I'm thankful for a God that, that uh, sometimes he takes dollar store junk and he makes it worth something a whole lot better. Amen? Amen? So uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for a God who, who uh, he is the ultimate appraiser. Amen? Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 16. I'm going to finish uh, this four-week um, sort of survey, sort of, um, I hope it's something that as we've been going through it, that you're kind of looking at yourself and, and maybe seeing that one thing that's going on in your life that's constantly been going on in your life that you've never really gotten free of. I hope it's been a time of, of examination uh, for you, and I hope that that continues this morning. Um, we've been talking about and examining the four-chapter account of the strong man. An Old Testament Superman-like individual who had great moments of strength uh, um, and greater moments of weakness. Otherworldly strong and ironically real-world weak, and I keep going back to that. You know, you can, you can look like one thing on the outside. You can exhibit one thing on the outside. And be something totally different. Nobody knows the struggles you're going through. Because you're kind of like that duck on the water. You know, just cruising along the water. You just look nice and smooth. And underneath, you're just paddling for all your worth every day. Just trying to keep going. Samson was kind of like that. To everybody on the outside, he was strong. He could, he could go against these Philistines. And, and he didn't need anybody's help. He didn't need an army. He was an army all by himself because of the strength that God had given him because of that Nazarite vow that his mother took and kept and it in the womb and it transferred into Samson's life. In week one, we learned that God used the strong man, but he didn't change the strong man. God won't make you change, but God will make you want to change. Amen? Because God will allow you to choose how you're going to live. And when the things that we're doing don't line up with God's desire or God's plan for our life, God will make a way for us to change. God will ask us to change. But the one thing God won't do is God will not make you change. God wants you to choose him. He wants you to choose the love that he's offering you. So he wouldn't change the strong man. Samson settled for outward demonstration, but he resisted and he failed to submit to an inward transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Samson had a mind problem. He had a, 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 a mind issue. All sin starts up here. Okay? Starts here and then we behave upon it, right? James talked about that. That, that it starts up here and then we act on it. And when we act on it, we give life to it. And ultimately, when we give life to it, that, that life that we give to sin brings death upon us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Amen? So it doesn't matter how bad we wreck it, God is still offering redemption. God is still offering to bring us back from the brink. Amen? And so he's, he does that with Samson. The strong man loved himself more than he loved anybody else, and he would constantly use his gift for his own good. I know a lot of Samsons. I've been in, involved in a lot of Samsons in my life. Uh, unfortunately, the Samsons that I see are people that God has blessed with musical ability. And this is just my own personal experience. 
I look at my, my family, my extended family on my wife's side, and I, I see all this musical ability. And they're not using it for God's glory. On occasion, they may play a song. They may get involved in a worship atmosphere, but they're not really using it for God's glory. They're using what God gave them ultimately for their own glory. And that happens a lot with music, but, and I don't like to pick on music so much, but it's true. And I believe that's because that's where the enemy fell down. It's such an easy, comfortable place to fall into. And so there's a lot of Samsons, and, and they don't have to be music, but there's, if you think, there's a, think about it. You know some Samsons in your life. You might be a Samson. You probably are. Okay, we're all a Samson. Okay, let's not, not keep anybody included. We're all a Samson. <clears throat> God wants us to use the gifts that he's given us for his good. Thank you, Roger. In week two, we discussed the demands of deliverance. When God delivers you from something, there is a, there's a demand that comes with that. There is a requirement, all right? We, we have to come out from among the world, amen? And we have to not be like the world. So oftentimes, the church falls into the mistake of, we got to be like the world so that they will be comfortable to come in. That's wrong. That's not how God behaves. That's not how God acts. God is a, is a just God. God is a holy God. God is... Sanctified totally unto himself, amen. He's he, he set apart from everybody else because he is perfect and he's never sinned. So in order to come into his presence, we need to be made perfect, amen. You can't get in God's presence without Jesus Christ in your life. You can't get there. People will say, oh, you just got to get them into God's presence. Well, if they're not clean, they're not coming in God's presence. If you don't believe me, read through your word. God's, when we talk about that, God showed Isaiah a vision, right, of heaven. He showed him a vision of heaven. He said, there God was and his train filled the temple, right? And, and he, he fell down. And he said, woe is me, because I'm a man of unclean lips. He recognized that he did not belong there. But in his vision, he was allowed to see God in the temple. And the angel took the coal and he touched his lips and said, woe is me because I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst an unclean people. And he cleansed him. He cleansed the, the, um, the problem. He said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Immediately, the, 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 from the altar, the angel took the coal and touched his lips. And the thing that he said that he was unclean of, he was cleansed of immediately. It's, that, that's, that's, that's when you are saying, hey, this is what I've done wrong. You're repenting. You're recognizing your sin, and you're saying, woe is me because of this. And he's instantly, instantly cleansed. And so at that point, he was welcome into that place. So God demands certain things in our lives to be delivered. If he's delivered you from drugs, do everything in your power to stay away from them. You may fall. I hope you don't. You may fall. But God is faithful and just to forgive us. Amen? He's faithful and just. So if we'll, again, if we'll bring up our sin to him, he'll, if we ask and repent, we turn from it, and we uh, are contrite in our spirit, he, he won't say no. So um, we have to deal with the demands for that deliverance. And, and, we're, and we have to not go back to the things that we've, 
come out from. Okay? Um, to, we might be overlooked by men, but God doesn't care about our social standing. God doesn't care about our bank account. God doesn't care what we came from. God doesn't care where we are now. He doesn't care about any of those things. He will use you. And deliverance always comes with these demands. Our character produces our pull, our clout. Our separation that generates our strength and our purity produces our power. Samson's separation came from the fact that he allowed his hair to grow. He never cut his hair. Not only did he never cut his hair, he wasn't supposed to take any strong drink, right? Remember that, the Nazarite vow? So when God tells us, when becoming a believer, when following the Lord, there are certain demands on how we live our lives. We're not to live our lives one way and, and be another. And we shouldn't make a mistake, and I'm going to hit on this today, we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking because we have power through the Holy Spirit, we have power because of God working in our lives, that it's okay for us to continue back there with the thing that, or the things that have tripped us up previously. Last week we talked about the details of destruction. We're destroyed by the dittos. Remember I was talking about the dittos, the things that we do over, and we make copies of them. We just keep doing them over and over again. Those things destroy us. And um, too many of us just keep living the same moments, simply separated by years. Now, if you, and this is where I was talking about last week. If we'll look back, we can see, I can see in my own life, things that I have done or I, I've participated in that... I'm still dabbling in. And they're not necessarily sinful, but they're not good for me. Right? So just because they're not sinful doesn't mean they're not bad for you. There are things that we do in our lives that, that are not good for us, and they don't bring glory to God. So we need to, um, we need to back away from those things. And we need to not prefer the things that are prohibited. And we need to not allow those things to constantly resurface until they produce destruction. Don't think for a moment that because you're not seeing um, judgment from the Lord in something in your life, that there isn't something coming, that it's okay to just continue to allow it. Okay? Because just because something's not a sin right now does not mean that it cannot become a sin later. All right? Everything leads to something. Okay? So our text this morning is in Judges 16, verse 16 through 21. And this is what it says. It says, um, and it came to pass, so if you got a pen, underline that, and it came to pass, and, and when you see that, you know that something happened before it, and here's the result, okay? So, and it came to pass, when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him, so that his soul was vexed to death. This is not your normal everyday nagging. Some people have an ability to nag to a point that, you, that this guy wanted to die rather than listen to her nagging anymore. He'd had enough. And he felt like his only response was to give in to what she was asking for. Kathy, don't worry, that's not you. I did. What did I say, 14? 16, 21. I said 16, 16 through 21. 
sorry. No. And I don't have this on, so I don't know if that'll help. Is that any better? Okay. No? Oh. Oh, you turned me off, huh? No, Sit down, Adolf Flores. Sit down. Sit down. <laughs> Sit down. That's an inside joke. You don't turn my microphone off, buddy. My wife, my wife, when she was brand new in worship, um, and I just recorded this pastor's name, so, oh, well. Um, when uh, she was brand new in worship, the pastor was a newer guitarist, and, um, and it was a new worship team. And he struggled with his strumming. And he said that Shelly's playing was throwing him off. So he said, I'm going to turn your piano off, and I want you to just act like you're playing. Just act like you're playing. As if the you know, congregation couldn't tell, hey, where's the piano sound? I see her fingers moving. I see her foot moving. So, yeah, so don't turn me off. Nobody puts baby in a... Oh, that's the wrong movie. <laughs> that's gotcha. That's fine. That's fine. So, sorry, and I apologize for that. So, uh, Judges 16, verse 16 through 21. So it comes to pass, and it says that... Uh, so his soul's vexed to death, that he told her all of his heart, and he said to her, No razors ever come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So it says he told her his heart. He didn't just tell her the things she was after. Do you know that the enemy sometimes, he'll just needle you and needle you and push you and prod you and poke you, and he is relentless. And I think of um, how prisoners of war are treated. And... and I can't help but think of this movie, Goonies. Anybody in here seen Goonies? Yeah. You remember when Chunk was being, he was being interrogated by the Fratellis in the basement of the restaurant, and, and they asked him to tell him something. Anyway, so Chunk starts telling the story. And they want one piece of information. And he's talking for an hour. He's giving them every detail. And I feel like Samson was a little like Chunk in that situation. You know, she just wanted to know the strength, but it says that he told her everything that was in his heart. We're not privy to what that is, but that's what the enemy does. The enemy just will push you and push you and push you and get you to a place where you will, you will tell him the things that are in your heart. You know that he doesn't know what's in your heart, but he will use what you tell him. He will use what you speak out into the air against you. It's like the Miranda rights. He'll use it against you. He'll, he, he doesn't know what you're thinking. He doesn't know what's in your heart. But the moment you speak it, it's out there. So the moment he spoke and he shared his heart, not only was his strength revealed and, the, and where his strength, how his strength was kept, how his strength was grown, and, and that, what the purpose of his strength was for, not only were all those things done, but everything else that he'd been carrying around in his heart for these 20 years while he judged Israel was all exposed. And I don't know if any of that ever came to play in the next little bit of time, the next 15 days or so of his life, because he lived about, about 15 days after this happened was the end of his life. Because uh, it was a 15-day trek from where they cut his hair to where he finally died. So it says, When Delilah saw that he had told her all of his heart, she sent... And 
In other words, hey, he's, he just emptied it out. I know that he's not holding anything back. He emptied everything out. He poured everything out in front of me. I know he's not holding anything back. Because he got to the bottom to the stuff that, man, nobody wants to know about. So if he got there, I know that I heard the truth somewhere up above, somewhere at the beginning. And uh, she said, come up here one more time. Remember, because he kept saying, oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. And he would tell him, and she would say, Samson, wake up. The Philippines are... The Philippines? The Philistines, the Philistines are upon you. And he would wake up and he would break his bonds and he would, he would thrash them, right? So these guys have been getting their butt kicked up by him for a while. Every time that they would come up, he'd, he'd kick their rear ends. And he probably had a good laugh about it. Well, so this time, she says, hey, I really know what's going on now. I'm going to tie him up just like before, but really, I, I'm gonna, he'll be sedated by the time you get here. Don't worry. Everything's handled. And uh, it says that she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. So his hair was bound into seven ponytails. Might have been pigtails. I don't know. But seven braids. Okay? So he shaved them all off. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, as at other times, and shake myself free. And isn't that our response sometimes when we come into an, uh, an experience where we've been doing our own thing for a long time, and oh my gosh, I better get serious about my relationship with the Lord. I better pray. I better, I better start. Things are getting rough in my life. I better start getting up at 5 a.m. and doing my devotionals. And I need to pray. And I need to read 17 books of the Bible every day. And I need to do this. And I need to do that. I need to dress. This. You know, you get into this. I'll go back to what I've always done. Because in his head, he was thinking that I can go back to what I've always done. And God's going to restore my strength. And it's not going to matter what I've done previously because God's still with me. God still approves of me. God still approves of my life. And I always think about, um, when I think of that, I think of that experience that Joshua had uh, when he came in, just getting ready to go into the promised land. He was standing there and the commander of the Lord's armies came up to him and Joshua said, whose side are you on? And what did the commander say? The commander said, I'm not on anybody's side. Whose side are you on? You better be on the Lord's side. Amen. God is not on your side. At no point in your life is God on your side. You are either on God's side or you're not on God's side. Samson right here, because he had broken his vow, was not on God's side. When we, break, when we become oath breakers, that, that's a big, I mean, I could, go into, I could go into teaching and preaching and jumping down, up and down and screaming about being oath breakers because church, we're full oath breakers. We are full of oath breakers. We'll never be everything that we're supposed to be for the Lord until we learn about our oaths and keeping our oaths. Not only our oaths and our relationships with the people that are around us, but our oaths to God. A lot of times we say, Lord, I'll do this. Lord, I want to do this for you. You better be careful the minute you, you speak it. You see, when God speaks, God, it's an oath. When God speaks something, it's the truth. When God speaks something, it's a promise. And we're created in His image. When we speak that we're going to do something with the Lord, you've taken steps to an oath. Amen? You're laying bricks for a foundation of an oath. So, I keep losing my page, sorry. Um, so he, he, he says, hey, 
I'll just do it like I've always done it. And, and so he, uh, he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. You know, Saul, the king, King Saul, right, had that same issue. He, he did a lot of things under his own strength, and he made a lot of decisions about how he was going to rule. He was told to do certain things, and he didn't do them. He didn't even do anything close to them. And he thought, well, I'm God anointed me king. Whatever I say is fine. Whatever I do is fine. However I live is fine. Well, what happened, what's really bad is when you live a certain way for a long time and you've enjoyed the Spirit of God living and moving in your life and, 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 be, and, and living in the beauty of His anointing. And then when we start mixing our flesh in with it, pretty soon we get like Samson here. We don't realize that he has departed, that the Spirit of God has departed, that you're, in essence, you're Ichabod. The Spirit of the Lord has departed this place. Samson didn't realize that the Spirit of God had departed. Spirit, Samson didn't realize that, that he was in an Ichabod situation in his life. And then it says, then the Philistines, not the Philippines, the Philistines took him and they put out his eyes. And then, the, you know, I always thought about that. You know, I've heard of stories of, of people having their eyes put out. And, you know, it doesn't take much pressure right here. If you push right here with, I, I think it's like nine pounds of pressure. Nobody will do it, right? But nine pounds of pressure and you, you can pop an eye right out of the orbit. And, uh, but they didn't put out his eyes in the sense that they used a spoon to, you know, put, the, it, the word that, the, that this is written, and I, I don't know the word, it's a Hebrew word, okay? But, but I looked it up, and the word means they bored out his eyes, like with a, like a, think of a drill bit. And you think of how excruciating that pain must have been. Wouldn't have been quick, because they didn't have drills, it would have been a terrible pain for him to have endured. And with that terrible pain, you know when you go through something really painful and it comes time for retribution, you want retribution for the pain that's been caused to you? So they put his eyes out and they brought him down to Gaza. So that's the 15-day journey. 15 days journey from where he was to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze fetters. Now, Here's the cool thing, bronze. Whenever you see the, the, the word bronze or the metal bronze listed in the Bible, bronze has to do with judgment. Okay? Bronze is always associated with judgment. They, they put him in fetters of judgment, essentially. Okay? And, um, and he became a grinder in the prison. He got put on show. See, say that again. Doing women's work, yeah. Wow, isn't it amazing? He got stuck. He got stuck. Please don't take it the wrong way, but his problem was with women. His problem was with his eyes and women. They put out his eyes. They put out the... the I, I wrote into my margin this morning, and I shared it on Facebook, and it says, if you, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, it would be better for you to enter into heaven... Blind. 
than to burn with lust. Right? You remember that? So, I'm not even, I'm not in my notes. I'm going to skip my notes. I'm just expository preaching. <laughs> um, so he's put on the grinder. He, he's, he's, he's doing, back then would have been very menial work. You know, you look at what he did and what he accomplished with the strength that God had given him. Now, he still obviously had some strength. And so they were making, it, making him use his strength to serve them. Whereas before, the strength that he had been given had been used to serve God, for God's glory. And now he was being used to provide for their entertainment, for their mockery. See, that's what happens when we live too long in the world and we live too long in our, our, our idea that it's okay to just keep living the same way that we're living because soon we go from hanging out with the people that are, you know, sort of our crowd to being made fun of by them. Kind of like that prodigal son. I, I always want to go back to him, but kind of like that prodigal son. You know, he was their friend as long as the money was flowing. He was their friend when they were having a good time. But where were they when he was in the pig pen? Where were these people that, where was these, these acts of strength? Where, were the, the, where was the glory in what he had done previously in what he was doing now? None. There was no glory. They weren't, it was, all, it was only mockery. That's all that comes in the end from the enemy. Now, while he's busy tearing you down, busy taking away your vision of who God, because really his vision of who God thought he was was probably gone right here. If you think about the physical distress he was under, the emotional distress he was under, what about the spiritual distress? Because spiritual warfare is going on very real right here in Samson's life. He must have had a million doubts about God can't possibly love me anymore. He's having a prodigal son moment right here. And we're going to get to it. It says they, they bound him. But then it says here, this is how God is. Remember with the prodigal son, it says he came to himself, he came to his senses, and he realized that it's better to be a servant in his father's house than to live the way he's living. He, I, th I believe Samson had a prodigal son moment right here. Something happened. It says right here, in, in verse 22, it says, However, I love however, I love it when God says but or however. However, the hair of his head began to grow. Where was this, what was the source of his strength from? His hair. His hair. The moment his hair began to grow, his strength began to return. But something different happened right here. His hair began to grow after it had been shaven. <clears throat> It says in verse 23, and we're going to keep reading. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god. Dagon's the fish god. Okay? And they rejoiced. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. 
Look at this and this. Here's the next thing. And they stationed him between the pillars. You know, just because our hair begins to grow back and God begins to renew our strength, you know that we still reap what we sow. God's law is never nullified. We, we will reap what we, will, what we have sown. Amen? Can we all agree to that? And guess what? Even after God begins to deliver us again, it does not take away the fact that there is a price to pay. So he was stationed between the pillars, kind of between a rock and a hard place, where he didn't, still didn't really have a choice. He's, he's bonded by the bands of judgment between a rock and a hard place that he can't get out of. And it says, Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand. Think of that. Strong as this man was, a kid was controlling him. A kid, a young boy. Let me feel the pillars. Let me put my hands on the rock in the hard place. I know they're there. I'm aware that they're there. I know what I'm going through. But I, I got to feel this. I need to feel the roughness of that cut stone on my hands. I can't see it, but I can see it with, with my hands. You know, like, you know, like blind people do, right? They'll touch your face, and they'll, they'll get a picture of what your face looks like based on what they're touching. I keep losing my page, sorry. Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. You know, and they're probably thinking, oh, look at this. Look at this. He's going to lean on the pillars that uphold the temple of our God. He needs our God's strength just to stand here. Oh, they must have thought, oh, he's, he's, he's abandoning his God. I, it doesn't say that, but I'm just wondering. What are they thinking as they're seeing him do this? Because he'd already been performing. Maybe they were ignoring him at this point. And it says, Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying... I love it. You guys know what the acronym PUSH stands for? No? Pray until something happens. I wrote that in my margin too. So it says, Then <clears throat> Samson called to the Lord. He prayed. He's doing the, the, the first part of the PUSH. He prayed. And he said, Oh Lord, God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. Oh God, that I may, with one blow, take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Remember what I said, when you go through, through, through something painful, when somebody puts you through something painful, you want to make them suffer for it. Every believer wants to see Satan bow before Jesus Christ. Every believer wants to see Satan 
thrown in to the lake of fire. Every believer wants to see that. Why? Because of all the pain and heartache and hurt that he has inflicted on you, on your loved ones. Right? We want to see that. Samson's no different. He says, Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. So you think about that. He's down in the center. Right where everybody can see him. He's, he's in the round. If it were a concert, he's in the round. And this, this ceiling with, round, with seating, two-story seating, with all these people, all that weight. Just the stone alone is a ton of weight. Tons and tons and tons of weight. And he's, he's pushing, he's got his hands out, and he's praying until something happens. Something happens. He took hold of those pillars, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might. He, he prayed until something happened with everything he had. Don't believe me? It says he pushed. He pushed with all of his might. Which was not everything it could have been. But when God is in it, it is always enough. When God is in your situation, it is always enough. And the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So that the dead that he killed in his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and his father's household came down and they took him and they brought him up and they buried him between Zorah and Eshtoal in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he judged Israel 20 years. But that was all of his life. Samson's life was was 20 years of turmoil because of his eyes. So, the title of the sermon today is Scary or Hairy. Are you scary? Are you living a scary life? Or are you living a hairy life? A life where you have kept your hair the way God intends it. Kept your manner the way that God intends it. Or are you living scary? Are you, are you trimming the edges because you want to look a certain way? Because you want to be around a certain people? Because you want to do things the way you've always done it? And eventually, whoops, next thing you know, you, you cut too far. You trimmed too far. You went too far. But the good news is, is with repentance, just as in Samuel's sense, when he, he, he humbled himself. Sometimes the enemy helps you get humbled. You know what? He does have a role to play in this situation. If you won't humble yourself, the enemy will help you get humbled. Now, we don't thank him for that. We don't praise him for that. But sometimes God uses the enemy to help us get humbled. We need to be humbled. But when we pray, when we turn to the Lord, when we ask God to, oh Lord, I've done it again. Over and over again, I've allowed what I've seen with my eyes, what I've thought in my head and then seen with my eyes and then pursued with my flesh, when I've let those things get hold of me or take hold of me or inch their way or seep their way into my life. And it always ends up taking you further than you want to go and costing you more than you want to pay and keeping you there longer than you want to be there. 
And you guys might be saying, Tracy, why every week do you keep bringing up this idea of, of, of sin? Because church, sin in the church is a big deal. If you look at every one of Paul's letters, he was talking about sin in the body of believers. Because church, like it or not, we have this idea that, it, that whatever we deem is okay is okay. Because we're born again. Because we go to church. And yet, God still permitted him to have his strength because of the vow that he took. But you know what wasn't in that vow? What wasn't in the Nazarite vow was, don't lust in your heart. And he still did it. You can follow the letter of the law that God gives you, but still be somewhere totally different in your heart. And you can be have this wrong perception that everything is okay between you and God because my life is awesome. There's no problems for me. I'm going to church. I'm on the worship team. I work in the daycare. I do this, I do that, yada, yada, yada. I preach. And yet, it all takes is one, one real bad screw-up at the wrong time. And you find out that how you were blessed was certainly all God's doing and not yours. But it's a slow, I talked about last week, it's a slow fade from, from on fire to smoldering. That's a slow process. And it's even a slower process from on fire to nothing, to a pile of ash. <clears throat> now that I haven't used my notes, I want to make sure I don't forget anything I wanted to tell you. Give me a moment. Okay, these are some points I want to make. Number one, strong man teaches us about hell. Strong man teaches us that you can live life scary. I said that, scary or hairy. The account contains one of the scariest statements ever contained in the entirety of Scripture. Scarier than floods, plagues, or even end-time prophecies. The statement is, he woke up thinking, I'm just going to go do things the way I've, I've always done them, and everything's fine. Remember, I brought that up. Um, we better wake up. If there's something to be woke about, to, and not be ashamed of being woke about, it's this. This idea that, that everything is okay. Um, the next thing is the strong man teaches us about hope. The enemy blinds us and Jesus specializes in bringing sight back. The enemy binds us and Jesus sets the captives free. The enemy banishes. They took Samson on that 15-hour journey, but Jesus brings us back home. Jesus always brings us back home. He always points us back to his Father. Amen. Oh, and here's something else. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 and verses 32 and 34, it says, faith is a confidence that we hope for. It'll actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we can't see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. How much more do I need to say? This is verse 32 and 34. It would take too long to recount the stories of faith, of Gideon, Barak, Samson is listed in the Hall of Faith. 
for all of his faults, for all of his mistakes, God is faithful. When his hair began to come back, began to grow back, that was significant in the fact that he wasn't going to be the way he'd been before. Here's the promise. This is where I want to end right here. The promise. Um, and you need to get this in your spirit this morning. If you've got your Bible, turn to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verse 30 through 34. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression, transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, Another one of those awesome God words. My loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break. God cannot break his covenant. Cannot break his covenant. If God were to ever break his covenant, he would cease being God. He would cease being God. The earth we live on would cease to exist. People would cease to exist. Everything, because it is upheld by the power of his word. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out from my lips. That's the God we serve. That's what we need to get in our spirit. doesn't matter. See, and this is the, the really weird exchange is that you hear that and you think, okay, you know, God's forgiving because we're, we can be I don't want to say, I don't make a generalization that we are this way, but we can be and have shown ourselves to be like kids who want to see how far we can go before, oops, we went. I mean, you know, when mom gets the crazy look, anybody ever been a kid and you saw mom get the crazy look? Oh boy, did it. You know, my kids experienced that with Shelly because Shelly would always be like so even keel. I was always the guy like, we're going to do this and do this and do this. Shelly would be like, uh-oh, shall we get the crazy look? And the kids would be like, oh, we went too far. We do that with God. And we, the thing is, is we, usually we know when we did it. That's called a quickening in your spirit. God quickens you in your spirit. And you know you did it because the same spirit that's in him and lives in you. And it's like, oop, the spidey sense starts tingling. You're like, oh boy, yep, did it. And usually I know I did it about... Like if it's something that, that I said that I shouldn't have said, it's usually when the last consonant or vowel dribbles right off this part of my lip right here and, and God's like, yep, nope, nope. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's very easy to fall into that. It's very easy to, to do that. But the thing is, it's like toothpaste. Once you squirt it out, you're not getting it back. But it doesn't change God's word. It doesn't change who he is. He's not surprised by our lack of um, conformity or our, our lack of, of, of good graces. He's not surprised by that. But what he does expect is for us to repent and to turn away from it again, again. And someday we turn away from it for the last time and it will never be an issue for us again. 
Because God has shown his loving kindness because he's been so patient and long-suffering with us. For 20 years, he dealt with Samson. For 20 years, he said, Samson, I'm proud of you for keeping the letter of the law that I gave to you, but you're not keeping the spirit. And yet I'll still sustain you. But there's going to come a problem because of the things that you've been doing and the way that you've been living. Someday, those eyes that you lust after stuff with are going to be bored out of your head. And I think about that. It's like, where does the sin start? It starts here. And, and maybe they drilled just far enough, just short of where the problem started. They could have bored all the way through his head. But they, they stopped just short of where the problem started. And then God used that so that Samson could repent. Because if Samson had forgotten, there had been no repentance. There had been no turning away from it. There had been no more, hey Lord, I messed up. But if you'll restore me, I'll finish the fight that you put in front of me. I'll finish this road that you put me on. And I won't look back, not just because I can't look back, but because now I realize what it's cost me. And I realize what you've done for me. And for however long his life was after that, he lived it to the fullest extent of his ability to follow the Lord. It's, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's how you finish, amen? Amen. So that being said...